Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, now I'm found. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That was a test. Those are the words from Amazing Grace, perhaps the most well-known hymn in history. Words that express the deep gratitude to God from their author, John Newton. Now, you probably know the hymn, but do you know much about the life of John Newton before he wrote the hymn? Born in 1725, Newton grew up on the sea, working on and eventually captaining ships that serviced the slave trade. His life was one of selfish and sinful pursuits, which is why he referred to himself as a wretch in the hymn. In his own words, he said this, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. This was John Newton. One night in 1747, the ship he was on encountered a massive storm, threatened everybody on board. He cried out to God for mercy. Please save us, save the ship. God answered. The storm dissipated. The crew was spared. Now he had a copy of the New Testament on the boat. He began reading it. He read passages about the prodigal son, about the Apostle Paul's conversion, saw the mercy of God and wondered, is there mercy for me? By God's grace, he ended up turning from his sinful life and trusted in Jesus Christ. And he arrived back on land, a converted man, who would later do whatever he could to bring an end to the slave trade. His hymn speaks to the power of God to save. The power of God to change. It speaks of dramatic, personal conversion from being lost to being found. Now, conversion is one of those God words that we're looking at in this series. One of these terms that sometimes we throw around in church as Christians we we use, but I wonder, do we actually understand what it means? What is conversion? How would we define it? And my, my goal this morning is to simply explain what is conversion, how are people converted, And then to show that everyone needs to be converted, just like John Newton. Okay, so we're going to start from the top right away. Here we go. What is conversion? What is conversion? The word conversion or convert means to turn around, to go in a new direction, to change allegiances or beliefs. So conversion in the Bible represents a turning from our sin and turning towards Christ. It's how we become a Christian. So it's really important for us to grasp this concept. We have a quote coming up on the screen from Wayne Grudem. He defines conversion this way. He says, Conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we repent of sins and place our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Turning from sin, trusting in Christ, for salvation, conversion. And there's probably no clearer picture of this kind of turning, this kind of conversion experience than the Apostle Paul's own 
story, own conversion event on the road to Damascus. So we're going to look at that this morning. If you could turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 9, or your Bible app to Acts chapter, chapter 9, we're going to read a, a good chunk of the chapter. We're going to start at verse 1. Acts 9 verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now you can drop down to verse 17. You have this uh, encounter summing up there. Ananias, Jesus appears to Ananias. Go talk to Saul. He says, I don't really want to. I know I've heard about Saul. He says, don't worry, go. It'll be okay. And so verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, so talk about turning around. Talk about going in a new direction. Talk about change. You have Saul, who would later become Paul. He's persecuting the church. He's hunting down believers in Jesus Christ. And then he goes, encounters Jesus, and then he starts preaching about Jesus rapidly. He was radically changed. He was converted. And his entire life was turned around. In fact, his life changed so drastically, so quickly, that some people thought it was a scheme. They didn't believe it. Look at Acts 9, 26 and 27. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. It was no scheme. It was legitimate conversion. Paul was never the same again. He had turned from sin and turned to Christ. So really quickly, as we think about conversion, I ask myself as I was studying, preparing, what, what about myself? What about me? What about you and I? Chances are we weren't blinded by a light on a road in our conversion moment, but if we have been converted, if we've turned from sin and turned to Jesus in faith, what kind of change has occurred in our lives since our conversion? Since we've become a Christian, how are our lives different? I just want us to kind of think about that today as we go along. 
Okay, so this is what conversion is, our response to the gospel, turning from sin, and embracing Christ by faith. But how does that response actually play out? Or we might ask simply, how are people converted? How are people converted? There are two essential components in an individual's response to the gospel that must occur for conversion to be genuine. And these components may take different shapes and sizes and forms, but they must be there. These two things are repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. At the start of his own ministry, Jesus declared this. Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Belief, faith, interchangeable terms. So it's important for us to understand that repentance and faith are kind of like two sides of the same coin. If the coin is conversion, one side of the coin is repentance, the other side is faith. They will always be together when there's genuine conversion. So let's break down these terms one at a time here, okay? What is repentance? What does it mean to repent? Okay? I have a definition, again, from Wayne Grudem. He says, Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. It's a turning or a returning to God. Turning to God from sin. So as somebody hears the gospel preached, they hear the message about a perfect God who made a perfect world that was good, and they hear about our subsequent rebellion, our sin against this holy and awesome God, which results in brokenness in our own lives and in the whole world. As they hear this, and they hear about how Jesus came willingly and died in our place, the Son of God comes and pays the price for our sin. They hear about how he rose again in victory and that he offers salvation, that there is a rescue, that you can be forgiven, that you can have eternal life. As somebody hears that, the Holy Spirit does a work in that person. Last week, regeneration, being born again, which enables that person to be able to see the horror of their sin and to see the severity of their rebellion and be disgusted by it. And when they finally see it, God empowers that person to be able to turn from it, to repent. That's what it means to repent. All of this, all of this is by God's grace, as we sung even this morning. It's your loving kindness that leads me to repentance. Repentance is more than just acknowledging that we have sin. Oh yeah, I, I've done some bad things, I have sin. It's renouncing it turning from it, running from it. It's a turn that God urges people to do. A couple passages I'm just going to read quickly for us. Psalm 34, 14. It simply says, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Just listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So as we heard last week, 
Regeneration, being born again. We aren't able to turn, we aren't able to repent until God does this work, this secret and supernatural work where he imparts new spiritual life. That is completely the work of God. We have no role to play in that. But we have a role to play in conversion. Now that we have been born again, now that we see our sin, we have a desire and an ability to repent from it and to trust Christ through faith. And this repenting, it's not just something that we're enabled to do. It's something that God desires for us to do. Just listen to Ezekiel 33.11. It says, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? So then the question this morning is, have you done that? Have you felt the weight of your own sin? Have you seen your rebellion against God, been disgusted by it, and, and, and repented and turned from it? I hope so. I hope so. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you've never done that, you wouldn't call yourself a believer in Jesus. I pray and I urge you that you would repent and believe today. That you would turn from your sin and that you would run to Him. Salvation is available for you today in Jesus. Forgiveness of sin. Right standing with God. Eternal life through repentance and faith. You can experience conversion today. Today. And be saved. So that's repentance. Now let's turn our attention to the other necessary element of conversion, which is faith or believing. Remember, repentance and faith intertwined, two sides, same coin. True repentance includes faith, and true faith carries repentance with it. So what is faith, or what is saving faith? In the Bible, you're going to find times where it says, I have faith in Jesus, or I believe in Jesus, or I trust in Christ. It's different ways of saying the same thing. Okay, uh, A definition here that's helpful for us from Bruce Ware of what is saving faith. To believe in Christ means to rely completely on what Christ has done in his death and resurrection for my sin so that my hope of being right in God's sight is all because of Christ and has nothing to do with any good things I might ever say or do. Completely rely on Christ. He's my only hope. I have nothing to offer. I simply cast myself on his mercy and grace. Nothing in my hands do I bring. Simply to the cross do I cling. Saving faith is is more than just knowledge. Of course, some knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done, that's necessary for saving faith, but knowledge about the facts about Jesus are not quite enough. And saving faith is more than approving of those facts or agreeing to those facts. So Nicodemus in John chapter 3 He told Jesus, hey, we know that you're from God. But Jesus told him he still had to believe in him. He still had to be born again. So knowledge of facts and approving of those facts aren't enough. Each person must trust in Jesus Christ to save them individually. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever 
believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison, and there's a story of, this, of the jailer in charge, and there's this earthquake, and the jailer is terrified, and, and he talks to Paul and Silas, and at the end of the conversation he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So if there's ever a time somebody asks you, so what must I do to be saved? Acts 16, 30, and 31, listen to what Paul says. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe, trust, have faith in. Completely rely. So let's imagine, maybe this will help, let's imagine there's this giant pit in front of the stage here this morning. I don't know, 50 or 100 feet long, and there's one rope hanging from the rafters. And the only way across this pit is to swing on that rope. Let's just imagine that. And Now I can know the facts. There's a pit and there's a rope. I could even approve or agree to those facts in saying, you know what, I have examined this situation carefully. Yes, and it is true. The only way across this pit is to swing by that rope. But you see, until I actually grab the rope and swing, I'm not actually trusting the rope to get me across. So in the same way, each person, each person must trust in Jesus. And Jesus alone, completely rely on him for salvation, to be in a right relationship with God. Jesus himself said this, John 14, 6, right? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not Jesus and my efforts, not Jesus plus my Sunday attendance, not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. And so I ask if you've repented this morning, I'm going to ask you, have you trusted in Christ this morning? If you haven't, you can today. I mean, God loves you. He wants you to trust in His Son. He wants you to receive salvation. He wants you to come to His Son in repentance and faith. If you have any questions about that today, don't leave without asking those questions. Life and death, eternity, hang in the balance. Don't rush off. Don't leave. Oh, I should have asked that. Ask if you have questions. Talk to someone. Talk to me. It's fine. I just want to stress here for a little bit the importance of us trusting in Christ and Christ alone. In modern North American Christianity, we've seen a number of expressions, additional expressions of repentance and faith. So what I mean, maybe some examples of, maybe you go to a conference or a concert and they say, uh, walk down this aisle, come to the altar. Or they say, you know, close your eyes and pray and, and raise your hand. Or, or come to the front and, and repeat this specific prayer. Okay? Uh, nothing wrong with those things. These additional expressions, they can be really helpful for us in identifying when it is we actually repented and believe. So maybe you're sitting and somebody's preaching. You're like, yes, I, I believe. I, I need to repent. I need to put my trust in Jesus. What do I do? And they say, come to the front and let's pray and talk about that. And you say, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, but remember, our trust isn't in walking to the front. Our trust isn't in raising our hand. Our trust isn't saying those specific words. That's not what saves us. We're not converted by those things. What saves us is Jesus, putting our trust in Jesus. Okay, those things aren't bad. Can those things be helpful, right, in identifying that expression of repentance, absolutely. I just want to be clear and sure that our trust is in Jesus 
alone, not any other additional expression of trusting Jesus. I also want to just comment quickly about conversion experiences. Individual conversion experiences are going to vary. Not everybody has a Saul on Damascus bright shining light moment or John Newton in the middle of a storm crying out for mercy moment. I watched the Jesus movie when I was seven and then after it said, do you want to follow Jesus? Maybe try praying these prayers and follow Jesus. And I sat there and I did it. There was no bright shining light. There was no storm. Okay? Maybe some of you can relate to that. Um, Conversion doesn't require a dramatic experience for it to be genuine. However, genuine conversion will produce dramatic results. Okay? So regardless of how the conversion experience happens and how it plays out, there's going to be a change. This idea, again, of like a 180 degree turn. I was going this way, now I'm going that way. Turning from sin, turning towards Christ. I'm done living that way. By God's grace, I am going to release my sinful and selfish pursuits and and now I'm going to turn to Him and I'm going to learn the way of righteousness. I'm going to learn the way of godliness. Yes, I'm going to struggle. Yes, I'm still going to make mistakes. And yes, I will still fall and sin. But there's a change. There's a difference. And we'll talk more about growth in Christ and sanctification and how we become more like Him, the pursuit of righteousness and holiness and godliness in a couple of weeks. But the point is, when someone is converted, their life is never the same. If it's true conversion. Just like Paul, just like John Newton. Radically different. So is there a difference in our lives? Since, since our conversion moment, since, since we put our faith in Jesus, since we profess to believe in Him, and how we talk, how we act, how we think, how we approach just different situations. Is there, is there any difference at all? I want, to be, I want to be careful because if there's no difference in our life, since supposedly coming to Christ in faith, since supposedly repenting, uh, biblically, uh, there's cause to be nervous and to be concerned. Uh, I'm not up here, I'm not saying that I'm the judge and I know who's converted and who's not and you are and you aren't. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. That, that is for God. Okay? But what I am saying is that as you read the New Testament, you're going to find that the consistent teaching is that genuine conversion results in life change. At some level, change begins to happen. And unless I'm mistaken, that's kind of what we're all about here at the gathering. Seeing lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and then growing, loving, growing, serving, and multiplying along the pathway of discipleship. Changed life. Conversion. And so we've looked at what conversion is. How people are converted. Repenting and believing. But there's one more thing that we should touch on before we finish. And that is the truth that everyone on the planet has the same need. Everyone needs to be converted in order to obtain the benefits of God's salvation. Everyone needs to be converted. I'm just going to read a few passages to help just emphasize this, they're, they're in your notes. John 3, 36, lays it out nicely. John 3, 36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Two categories, two camps of people. Believe in the Son, 
or not. There's only two groups of people on the whole planet. That, he really boils it down to that. Uh, Romans 3.23, we've heard that maybe many times in our life. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have sin. Every one of us have a sin problem. Every one of us need a righteousness that is not our own because our righteousness is really bad. And so praise be to God that he gives us the righteousness of Christ through repentance and faith. Acts 4.12, Peter, he says this, There is salvation in no one else, speaking about Jesus. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Like again, we heard a few weeks ago, Pastor Garth talked about salvation, God providing this rescue. The rescue, the salvation is available. We can be delivered from sin, from wrath, from death. Jesus died in our place. He rose from the dead. He offers forgiveness and eternal life. But no one is going to obtain that salvation, receive that salvation, without repenting and believing the gospel. And so we say, if everybody needs to be converted in order to obtain salvation, how are they going to discover this need? How are they going to repent of their sins? How are they going to put their faith in Jesus? I'm going to read from Romans chapter 10. Verse 11 to 17. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Awesome. Yes. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Everybody needs to be converted People need to hear the gospel if they're ever going to repent, if they're ever going to believe it, and so be saved. Everyone needs to be converted, but who will tell them that? Who will tell them? I've been wrestling with this a lot lately. This is our mandate. This is our mission to, to go and to tell, to declare the gospel to explain who Jesus is and what he has done so that more people will hear it, so more people will repent, more people will, be, will believe, more people will be converted and so obtain God's gl- glorious, wonderful, and gracious salvation. This is our mandate, not just mine, it's yours too, all of us. We've got to go out. And sometimes we don't even have to go out that far. There are people around us already. How will they believe unless they hear? How will they hear unless somebody tells them? We have an opportunity. We have a privilege. We have a responsibility to share the good news. Salvation is available to anybody who repents and believes. Let's go tell them.
Let's go tell them. By God's grace, not on our own strength, not mustering up this bravado of whatever, but by God's grace, God, help me, use me, give me opportunities, let me trust you to speak in those opportunities, and let's tell them. Father God, would you use us? We've heard, we've talked about conversion, about the need of everybody to repent and to believe, put their trust in your son Jesus. And God, we need you to empower us. We need you to help us. Sometimes we get scared. Sometimes we get nervous. I pray that by your spirit, you would lay upon us a burden to seek out and to communicate your truth to those around us. Lord, do this in me. Help me to take advantage of of, of the opportunities that, that you put before me. Help us all to do this so that more people would come to know you, more people would be saved, that you would see, receive more glory in Windsor and all over the earth. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've heard this morning, Conversion is all about a changed life, how we think, how we talk, how we act, and even how we view finances. We start to see things in a new way and get excited about supporting the mission of God, both